everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room, and oh, man, I got worried there. I thought we lost our guests in the video already. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so we are uh, we are continuing on our on our trek through the TACP FTU. Um, right now, we've got two instructors that are out there. We've got Lucky on the uh, in the purple hoodie, and then we've got Breen or Breezy. In the black shirt. Uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Maybe it's a black shirt. I don't know. I can't tell. But appreciate you guys joining us. Yeah, man. Um, it's great. So before we dive into whole the whole phase two part of um, the attack PFTU, can you guys give us a little bit of background about yourself? Um, we'll start with you, Lucky. How about that? Sure. Yep. So I've been in the Air Force and attack P for about 14 years. I uh, spent most of that time at Fort Riley, Kansas with the Tenthe Sauce, and I've been out here in Vegas for about four years. I am the flight chief for the, now it's called the TACP ICC, or the Initial Certification Course, specifically Phase 2 or okay. Strike Phase. how about you, Breen? My name, oh, my bad. My name is Mike Breen. I've been a TACP for 12 years, and I recently transitioned from the active duty to the guard. I'm at the 116th ASOS now. Uh, before that, I was the NCOIC of JTAC QC, which is now the course that he runs. Obviously, it changed, but uh, now oh, I'm the course are you, manager. Are you over the moon happy because you're guard now, too? Because I have yet to meet somebody in the guard that's that's mad about it. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> never been anybody that's regretted going to the guard since the guard was invented. It's like they go over there so and they're... <laughs> they're already it's like compare and contrast the guard and the uh the active duty guys and the guard always wins <laughs> yeah <laughs> no complaints over here We're happy. <laughs> all right well um like i said you guys are at the ftu for phase two um at nellis air force base and and it's it's pretty cool to see all the all the beret wares running around well trainees rather, but there are a lot of beret wares that are, uh, that are on Nellis. But, um, so great. I'll say graduate or complete rather phase one. And then they show up to you guys like day one. What can people expect? What are they getting themselves into? So for strike phase, uh, what you can expect is it's going to be five weeks of training. Um, it's going to be less physical than the tacky training up to that point and way more, I guess, uh, uh, brainy, we're going to really evaluate their ability to think on their feet and critically think and problem solve. So we shift more into just being strong and fast into actually thinking well. Um, day one, we actually go pretty much right into the syllabus. So it was originally built to where the first day they arrived and then the next couple of days, it was just all admin based and a uh, pretty low threat that first week. But we just realized pretty quickly that we need to maximize all the training time that we have. So the, the first day that they're in the classroom is about half admin and uh, just getting them settled. And then we dive right into the syllabus. They get one more day of event read-ins and kind of uh, familiarization with how the simulator equipment works and what they're going to be doing. And then the following Monday, which is actually supposed to be day one, they're actually executing inside of the sim, doing a full mission profile or a cast mission profile inside of the sim. So, like between so like we, phase we hit one the ground and phase running. two, it's just like you move buildings. Like, do you just like get over there and start and start get, doing brainy stuff? Is that how it works for the students? So yeah, um, 
I'm not sure quite how red in you guys are, but for phase one, they're actually down at Camp Bullis in Texas. And then they fly up here to Las Vegas for strike phase or phase two. So, um, yeah, so it's a little bit of a transit to get up here. And uh, we kind of have to tell the kids to not get too distracted with the fact that they're in Las Vegas and to stay out of trouble. What could happen? And not throw away all their training this far into the pipeline. But, um, yes, we do, we do have two buildings. We have our kind of academic or classroom building, which is the, the headquarters building. And then a couple of blocks down the street, we do how, have How much about what they've learned up to this point building. carries over? And and do you guys find any problems with that, with the, the transition, obviously, from city to city? And then the distractions and depending on how long they've been out of like the, the formal training environment, do the students lose, you know, like, do you have to have to go like go back and teach stuff that is not necessarily in your curriculum and catch them up? And and would you like to tell the students that that's unacceptable and suck it up and, and keep that stuff up in your heads? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this whole phase one, phase two, TACP pipeline thing is not that old. It's only about two years old at this point. And when we first stood up strike phase, we we pretty quickly realized we had to redo our entire syllabus because the students were not where we thought they were going to be coming from phase one. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Not at all phase one's uh, fault. It's just that there's a lot that we're expecting these guys to learn in a very short period of time. And a lot of it is that um, fire hose effect that you get in like any sort of formal training unit. So um, yeah, you want to take the last half of that? Yeah, what we used to do was we would ex we would do straight up seventeen events per day. So like either or per course, excuse me. We would either do seventeen sims or um, live fly MOA events, depending on what part of the training that we were in. And what we found was that they just need more time on specific, you know, JTAC tasks. If that makes sense. Um, more time connecting the dots between what we would give them and what we were expecting them to do that same day. We don't do same day events anymore. Now it's, we'll, we'll pretty much like diagnose the con op with all the students and then we'll go hands on with some of the desired learning objectives that we're trying to go and teach them. And then the next day we'll go into the sim with the students. So yeah, just to kind of um, bring that thing full circle. So everything that we used to teach at JTAC UC, all of those academics are now taught down at phase one. And the whole intent is that by the time they show up to us, they've got like a pretty decent theoretical idea of how to be a JTAC and we jump straight into execution. So that's kind of what I meant earlier when I was saying that really on day one of the syllabus, we're actually jumping into execution where the kids are trying to be a JTAC inside of the simulator. So, um, again, to kind of bring it full circle, we found that we do have to do a lot of additional training just to get them to the basic proficiency level in order to be successful in the sim on day one. So that's kind of why we had to redo the whole syllabus is we've now got a lot more academics than we originally did. And we now alter, uh, we alternate execution and learning. So we break the students into two groups, well, A, a and B just for simplicity. And while A group is um, actually executing that mission, B group is over in the classroom getting all the academics and doing uh, hands-on exercises and that sort of stuff. And then uh, the following day, once A group is back in the classroom, B group is then actually in there. No, that, make, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's always nice to hear people straight. talk about, you know, adjusting to the students a little bit. And I think for, 
for some of the JTACs out there, and obviously I'm not a JTAC, but it seems like if you're a controller on team for a long time, or if you're a TAC P Romad for a long time, and you just get used to that, uh, the vernacular and being out there with guys doing uh, casts and all those other things, you, it kind of like bakes into your system. And we just throw everything at these kids, you know, at phase one, and then they show up to you and it's, it's like execute. It, it's, it's not the same, I think, to teach those guys as, as someone coming off team with like a little bit of that background experience and a little bit of time to breathe. And to really internalize, you know, how this actually works in the real world to them, it's all theoretical when they show up to you guys, right? So to speak to that specifically, um, yes, you're you're absolutely correct. There, we used to do the romad thing there, where you know guys would graduate three level school and then they would go to their first unit. Perhaps they get a TDY, perhaps they get a deployment or two, and that's completely gone. So now they, they show up to us and they they don't have that same experience, which is, I think, a big driving factor of why we, we kind of looked at each other and was like, do we got to change the way that we're, we're training these guys? Because they, they just don't know the baseline things that we knew, perhaps, coming up. But it's it's they pick it up pretty okay. quick, uh, well, to be honest. We've seen this a bunch of times when I was an instructor at the schoolhouse, and it was like the frustration of the instructors when you would get a group of students and you'd go, why don't you know these things? And then you'd look at your curriculum and you go, Oh wait, it's cause we've never taught it to them before. You know what I mean? Like I made the analogy. It, it was, it's funny to hear, you know, both you, Steve and, and you Breen, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, being seeing some things that you needed to fix and had to go back and like re-engineer a way to get you to execute on day one. Cause you have to be able to set them up. You have to be able to give them the tools to actually get in and even be in the sim. So you said the course was five weeks long, and I know we're running from the very start. Like you're hitting the sim and getting those first ac- academics day one. Do you have any gates? Is it sp- is it split up into phases? Is there a you know a, an event sort of in the middle that's the watershed event? What's the first time that you really see students struggle in phase two? Yeah. Uh, the first time that we see students struggle in nice. phase two is nice. on <laughs> day one of execution. Um, but you know, that's to, to be expected. Uh, we were kind of talking about this yesterday. And just because of all the stuff that we were just talking about, how um, there's a lot of learning still happening at phase two, and we can't jump straight into like the evaluative um, execution that we were kind of expecting that we were going to be able to. Um, we we don't really have a gate that the students have to get through early on in the course. And what I mean right. by that is just, again, there's a lot of learning happening. So the difficulty and the complexity of our scenarios as well as our expectations are pretty much the same on day one as they are on the capstone of week five. So what we typically see happen time and time again is that students struggle a lot when they first get here. And it's not uncommon for us to see students fell two, three, four sure. plus events right in a row, right off the bat. And honestly, that doesn't concern us that much. What we're looking for is just that they are showing progression and that they are able to pick up the, the things that we're trying to teach them and that they are progressing. So we do have, you know, kind of a couple processes in place. Um, so just to, again, kind of familiarize everybody with what our syllabus looks like a little bit more. So the first two weeks are all SIM-based. The third week, we start doing LiveFly close air support, but we do that all dry. Uh, we call it MOACAS or uh, military operational airspace close air support inside of kind of the local uh, towns around Vegas. So we have 
uh, I guess, three smaller cities that surround Vegas that we go and do basically mock close air support. And then, uh, so that's our, our kind of dry cast week. And then we drive out to Fort Irwin, California, typically. And then we do uh, range casts out there. So we're actually dropping bombs, doing the whole thing. And then the fifth week is capstones. So we're back on Nellis doing our uh, kind of evaluative, formative, or yeah, formative evaluations at the end there. And those, like I said, are back in the sim. Um, so again, we do have a couple of processes in place. At the end of sim week, so at the end of week two, we kind of have a pretty good um, indication of who is going to be struggling and who isn't. So anybody that's failed uh, three plus missions at that point in time will trigger a, a progress check and potentially a commander's review board. And that's where we kind of look at how much progression this guy's showing, whether or not we want to send him off to, you know, actually work with an aircraft and, and spend the money on that gas sort of stuff. And then our next real big milestone is going to be during the capstone week. So if somebody has hit six non-effective missions by the time we hit that capstone week, they're going to be automatically triggering a commander's review board where we sit down and look at the data and determine nice. whether or and not I, that I hope everybody out there just crystallize this moment. Peaches, mark the clip. You were never done being evaluated. You didn't make it through a, you know, <laughs> assessment selection. You didn't, you know, phase one, the job is not done. Phase two, you're evaluated the entire time. And even worse, now it's not just black and white. Now it's not just, did you run a 930 or did you run a 929? It's, hey, this entire student's body of work, we're going to get together as professionals and we're going to talk about whether we think you have the, the aptitude to get there. Um, I hope people are hearing you and, and putting that best foot forward at phase two, because like to me, I, I couldn't do any of this. I, I've been in the sim for about 10 minutes and I looked around, I got motion sick and I had to go home for like the rest of the day. Like that was it. Like loud noises. Uh, they're my bugaboo. All right. I don't like blood. It makes me woozy. Um, you guys, you guys are turning the heat up and I know you've seen the memes out there because it's the internet. Um, but it's like, you know, Hey, here's my JTAC QC in a permissive environment. It's like 10 Sam's and there's like bear cavalry and stuff that the instructors are just like piling on Breen, how, how much, how much stress are you putting on? You know, when you guys are in the SIM, how much heat are you really turning up? Cause that SIM can get complicated immediately. Like I get overcome by events, like walking in the door. So how much, how much are you giving the students to train down there? So we try and teach them that. You know, the level of complexity is going to be a lot higher than the task that we're trying to solidify. So what I mean by that is I'm going to introduce a scenario where it looks like we're not going to be able to win in like maybe a large scale kind of combat operation. But then we, we dumb that down for the students to uh, an initial level of initial qualification training to where Yes, this is, might be the case going forward, but this is how you are able to, you know, overcome that scenario, at least in that phase of training. You know, I don't, I don't want them to leave here thinking like, oh, it's impossible and we can't get the job done. But at the end of the day, there's, there's tasks that I'm trying to get you to understand. So that's why I got it. Yeah, totally. Down to the, the initial level. When you say, I just want to clarify because. When you say missions, are we are we just talking about you know cast close air support missions, you know, uh, or are we talking? Are you guys wrapping kind of everything up like, hey, they're um, 
their mission planning, their their movement to the objective area, executing the cast mission, exfilling and everything like that. I don't necessarily mean a full mission profile, but I mean like from, hey, this is the cast mission. You've got to plan it. You got to move to it. You've got to get to wherever it is, whether it's an OP or whether it's mounted or whatever like that and, and go through that. Yeah, so I, I got to be careful when I say full mission profile because it's actually a cast mission profile, and I kind of misspoke earlier. Um, so we we looked at that pretty hard when we first did this thing up. Um, we do want to incorporate infill, exfill, and kind of the, the whole added stress that those things bring. Um, we we had places in the syllabus where we wanted to, to include those, but we pretty quickly found out, like I said previously, that the the students were getting fairly task saturated just by learning how to be a JTAC. So we've, we've broke it down and made it quite a bit more simple. So the, the pre-mission planning and that whole side of it is very robust, uh, but we do not at this point in time, at least at this point in the syllabus, we do not have like a, a significant infill expill that the students need to plan for. Um, those are all things kind of down the road that we're looking at doing, but, uh, yeah, we uh, right now are just kind of focused. No, on, that makes on sense. I'm just I'm kind of going off of the center. old um, and you guys will laugh about this because I know both of you have have experienced this more than likely. But the old, hey, you're going to go out for an eval and you're going to execute. You're going to do all this stuff. You're going to do amazing things. Right. But then the kind of older tech P have failed you because you didn't sign off your 1800 kind of thing. You know, um, you, you see, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I could see both Absolutely. of you guys yeah. smiling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You didn't wear your seatbelt. Seatbelt. We're at war, guy. What are we doing? There's no seatbelts yeah, yeah, in exactly. war. It, for, uh, when you guys are out there doing MOA stuff, are you guys typically using contract air, gray tails, as in Air Force, you know, Air Force, Marine, Navy aircraft, or are you guys kind of just doing whatever you can get? So yeah, that is that is kind of an is interesting dynamic that's happened over the past five or so years with us at the 60TS. Is uh, our standard is contract gas. So we actually have a company called Blue Air Training that we work with almost exclusively for for support of our syllabus. Uh, we do on kind of onesie twosie occasions work with the the weapon squadrons, the weapon school squadrons like the the A10 squadron. Um, we were just out earlier this week with the MQ-9 Weapon Squadron. So we do kind of pick those up when they're available. But just because we needed the consistency that, that the contract cast okay. provided, that is our You only need like Peach's address so you can just roll over there and notionally <laughs> blow his house up every class. We already, already have. Call contact on Peach's house. Contact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, no coming in as a, a non-JTAC, non, you know, I've never been in the Sims. Can you explain what the Sims look like to, to folks out there and, and for the, you know, potential students? Because these these are the questions that we, we tend to get. I think I poked my head into a Sim like one time and been like, nah, dog, not for me. Um, but as they, as they walk into it, you know, into the, the environment, like what, how hard is it to, to figure out what's going on in there? And then what kind of scenarios are you throwing in there for them? I know you've answered it a little bit. I'm just, for the folks out there, what, what are we talking about when we say a Sim? Go ahead. Uh, so we go through um, kind of a crawl, walk, run progression. We start off kind of light with counterinsurgency. We try to replicate, you know, places where you can have 
you know, your airplane's in the overhead and there's no threat of anybody trying to shoot them down. And we can just have them stare at whatever it is that we're trying to have them, you know, uh, strike or whatever the case might be. And it starts off um, most likely with a friendly force uh, infiltrating into an objective area and more than likely either we'll have them strike something deliberately or, you know, uh, a troops in contact situation will happen and they have to respond to it. Typically, a, a sim that we're asking the students to do consists of three attacks, whether it's artillery or an attack from helicopters or an attack from fixed-wing airplanes. They need to do three attacks within about one hour time frame is typically the ask. And then there's a bunch of learning objectives that we're trying to teach behind the scenes that they know may or may not be coming, but we drive the scenario into forcing them to do yeah, these I, I think we're, we're, we're tracking the objectives and also... Like, just pretend that I'm the dumbest person you've ever met because that's true. Like, am I looking at three screens? Am I looking at a ceiling? Is this a dome? Am I putting on VR headsets? Like, or if we're not there yet, is that where we're moving for, for Sims? Or how does that all work? So that's it's kind of answer. everything just, you just, just said. Yes, actually, and then go on. Answer, yes. Let me get a little more specific. Right. <laughs> yeah, yes. Next question. Any more brain busters? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay, next question. Uh, yeah. No, so right now we do have flat screen simulators as well as dome simulators and we are in the process of acquiring vr simulators so again kind of all of those answers just kind of break down what that looks like um the the primary ones that we like to use are the dome simulators so they are maybe like 15 feet by 15 feet and you walk in one side of it and you're surrounded by uh, uh basically a hemisphere of projector screens that goes all the way around you so any direction you look, except for behind you, you're looking at a projection of the sim, and it takes maybe like 15 really big projectors to, to display like a complete world around you. So it's pretty cool. It's actually a pretty immersive environment. Um, you, As far as like the equipment and how hard it is to use and how much training we need to provide the students in order to be successful in there, it's actually more than you might expect because all of the equipment inside of the, inside of the sim replicates the real world equipment. So if you have a laser designator, the laser designator is actually replicated in the sim. If you have a 117 golf, your radio, that's actually replicated on a, on a, on a little tablet inside of there. So it does take some familiarization to figure out how all of that digital representation of the real world equipment works. And that's kind of one of the things that we realized when we stood up the the strike phase is that students coming here from phase one needed so like at least a, a half a day of training inside of the sim just to figure out which buttons do which. But once you kind of figure out which buttons do which, uh, they should be familiar with that basic equipment. So an islet, a designator, your radios, all that sort of stuff, rover. Um, and then it's just kind of like uh, getting your brain over the hurdle that you're not actually out on the OP, you're looking at it on the screen. So it is definitely a different skill set, and it takes a few sims before students really start to pick that up. Now let me just put a break there. Um, so the flat screen ones, I know this, this, this uh, answer is getting long, but then the flat screen ones, it's actually the same system and the same equipment. It's just that you're looking at a large flat screen TV instead of being in a dome. 
So that's kind of a less good option just because it's less immersive. The, the SIM and all the equipment works exactly the same. So we can plug a student into either one of those rooms and accomplish the same DLOs on the same scenario. And then um, we have had a few different companies come over and filled some VR headsets and kind of start getting into that side of the stuff. So if you're familiar with Havoc, they're one that was uh, probably most recently at the sixth and fielding their stuff. And there's a real appetite by the community to start procuring some of that stuff. So I don't want to speak out of lane, out of turn or out of, out of my lane here, but it sounds like we are going to start going in that direction a little bit. And if anybody's used an Oculus, basically that's what you're looking at, kind of that quality of graphics and that sort of headset. Um, as far as trying to incorporate JTackery stuff into like a VR headset, the thing that we've always kind of been concerned about or that's always been a limb fact is how do you, how do you reference uh, a JPUB or how do you write a nine line while, you, while you've got a VR headset on? So Havoc has some pretty cool ways that they're cracking those nuts to include even like a digital tablet where when you look down with your, your headset, you see the tablet, you can actually write on it with a stylus wow. and it all is happening in VR. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty sweet system. And SOCOM's already accredited, uh, I think, last month, yeah. month, month before. So I think that'll end up being the, the kind of sim of record, at least for the whole, you know, that kind of JTAC in a box kind of thing. But it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's smaller. Yeah. Um, I, it seems like the writing is on the wall, but that's the future. Like w when I was playing with it a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's so it yeah, I don't, away, I don't so. know how they did the program cool, before, but it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I will say with VR training, people freak out. Like there was a post about, you yeah. know, somebody using an Oculus for medical training and the internet world of experts blew up and they were like, Oh, you can't replace T triple C training with all that. And everybody in our community was like, shut the, shut up. That's not what we're doing. We're doing all of these. It's an adjunct, right? Like if I want to be able to go to my med shop, I got an hour in my day, which by the way, I never have an hour in my day just free anymore. But if I did, and I was a young team member, I could go throw the Oculus on at our unit and I could run through really, really uh, long algorithms, right? Like imagine running a heart attack. You can't just run a heart attack. And I'm sure I could read through the book, but I can figure out a game interface that will let me run through, like actually push medication and stop a patient from dying and do all these things. That's valuable. Like that's a valuable adjunct. Is it the end all be all? No. But that headset for you being able to run through those nine lines, being able to look around and I get it. It's a video game. I get it. It's VR. And then I wouldn't have to like flip through with my little blocky hand, you know, the book in front of my face. I get it. But that's awesome. Just being able to run through and rip off things that you can make muscle memory. You can just go through them so many times in the simulator that you're like, oh, OK, cool. And then that does apply really well to the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, doing close hair support training is expensive. If you're flying a jet around burning God knows how many gallons of fuel, that's not a, a cheap proposition, let alone paying for the crew that supports that whole thing. Um, so especially at the basic level, when we've got a student that's just barely learning how to ride a nine line and how to pass out to an aircraft, like, yeah, absolutely. The sim is not going to be the end all be all say all, and it's not going to really teach you how to translate that completely into real world. But it's great. It's a great learning tool to get through those. Do, do all the students want to walk and, and talk in the sim and with the VR? Because then it's accurate. <laughs> if they're trying to walk around there and talk at the same time, then you know it's working, right? 
the, the, the classic like JTAC looking at Push my JTAC walking around pacing. <laughs> the JTAC just like wanders away from everybody. You're like, you're you're gonna get shot, dude. I don't know where yeah. he's going. It's it's cool. it's the JTAC. He's fine. He's gonna be fine. They're impervious to bullets when they have their head down like that. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard more than a couple stories where JTACs are in a firefight and just default to muscle memory, where they just start pacing around while they're talking to the aircraft. Like. Yeah. I only have one more question about the sim, and it's not really a good Grand question, but if you like accidentally drop a bomb on your own location, does like Arlie Ermy come in over the headset and tell you that you done messed up and that you're a terrible JTAC and you're never going to make it? Uh, no, but I can definitely <laughs> talk goodness. to our sim programmers. Thank goodness. That well, I mean, I um, we know the JTAC, <laughs> uh, you know, JTAC work is expensive. Getting out over MOACAS is, you know, it is a big deal and it takes a lot of planning. From the student's perspective, how cool is it? Okay, we're done in the sim. We get done with the sim block, and we're ready to start like actually talking to aircraft, and it's not my instructor pretending to be one on a microphone. Does that raise the student's heart rate even dry? Does that start like putting on the pressure a little bit with the students? Uh, and, Breen, I want to ask you that question, but first I want to ask, what part of the South are you from? Get out of here. You sound like, uh, there's, this, there's this twang behind your voice. I'm yeah. like, what part of Mississippi is Breen from? All right, so my... my uh, <laughs> <laughs> California, bro. Uh, okay, well, so, like crazy. Did like, you spend time at Fort Campbell or uh, or Bragg or something? Yeah, like Louisiana. God dang, you sound like Theo Vaughn. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot of people. Yeah, in I the think military so. It's, from it's the right there. It's just time. It's it's just a lot of time subtle. at Fort Polk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, the students, man. How how are they reacting when they're finally talking to a live pilot flying a live plane? terrified is it terrifying kind of how you would expect they are uh, i wouldn't say terrified but they're kind of taken aback like oh this isn't this isn't virtual anymore there's there's somebody who's actually flying in the sky there's somebody talking to me and then that's when you kind of try to connect the dots a little bit when they're doing things like they're getting ready to attack a target and you Kind of tap them on the head. Like, oh wow! Hey, look for the airplanes. Now they're looking up. Like oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now. I, um, kind of, a thing. I, and I just have to imagine the helmet fire for them is is pretty cool. Uh, is this where you guys teach the whole shaka thing, or do you guys do that in live fire? Outstanding. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we, you know what? We'll cut that. Cut that. We're gonna get that out of here right away. Um, so we're talking yeah, live aircraft. That. We're going on Moacast and. I think I understand from sitting in a uh, from sitting in a truck in a random town in the middle of the desert in civilian clothes that look like work clothes with some of my closest friends for hours on end. Um, I love Moacas. It's just cool hearing the rhythm of the calls between the, you know the aircraft and you know doing some of those things like doing talk ons and watching a student. No kidding, organize three or four different aircraft at once, or you know sometimes three or four simulated. Steve, is there any task during this phase, the drive phase? That students just 100. percent You're going into the event. And you're like, here we go. This this is going to be the one. Is there anything that sticks out of your mind for those students? You mean uh, just to kind of understand the question better? You mean anything for them that's like a milestone or? A I mean, yeah, the second one, the like ladder there. Awesome. Is there anything that the instructor awesome. is just like when you guys are going out and you're like, here we go? You <laughs> know, sometimes we would have uh, like what we would have our uh, pickoff day, like the first time that we teach students how to do a specific rope event. It's supposed to take you about 30 minutes for an operator. I've seen students take like two and a half hours. So on pickoff day, the instructors would just be like, oh, okay, who's running it? Gotcha. Does everybody have sunscreen? How much water do we have? Are we going to make it through today? Uh, is there anything for like, for you guys when the students start talking to live aircraft? 
Uh, it would be hard to narrow it down to one specific thing, but if I if I took a stab at it, um, the thing that always kind of blows me away is as yep. soon as we start moving, students fall apart. Um, and, you know, honestly, like a lot of seasoned JTACs as well, but maybe not seasoned, but that is the thing that seems like it's most challenging is uh, getting out of the yep. OP or static cast into actually moving. So whether that's in a vehicle, driving through a town, or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. simulating that the vehicle gets disabled and getting out on foot. Like, as soon as, soon as I tell a student that the vehicle is disabled and we have to dismount and start <laughs> running around, like, they've got radios hanging behind them and Our things are falling out of their pockets off. and they can't know, they can't remember which way is just the worst. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would say just the, probably the mobile missions are the, or the, or the dynamic missions, especially dismounted right. are the first time that the students really experiencing that, um, which, you know, when they, when they're at phase one, they do a lot mm-hmm. of the combat skill stuff where they figure out how to right. land, navigate and like, theoretically they're good at this stuff. But once we add the next layer of the cake, which is actually talking to the aircraft right. and cast, it's like, that's a big learning event for the students. And and that's when they're like, oh, I have to like reassess how my kid is put together well, it's like, and what pocket. It's like the analogy of, uh, sort of stuff, you know, so. hey, it, it's just like riding a bike, right? People that are really, really good at riding a bike, like that statement is there to be like, oh, yeah, you've already done this. These guys are at the other end, the complete other end of that spectrum where we taught them how to ride a bike in phase one. But as soon as they got it to where they weren't like fully wobbly, we took them off the bike. And we're like, all right, cool. We're going to do some more bike riding stuff later. And then in phase two, we're like, hey, here's your bike. Go jump that thing. And then, and they're like, wait. And then I love how the instructors, too, are like, well, you exactly. know how to ride yeah. a bike. We taught you in phase one. We're just we're just asking you to do a 70-foot jump in phase two. That's all. Uh. It's the, it's the same thing. But it's in the, the same air. thing. But in I the can't air, wait to talk about phase three or the you know the third block here when we go live because that's, a, that's what everybody wants to do. You know, if you're a PJ... You want to uh, fix people, stop people from dying, and then you know do rope stuff, I guess. Uh, but if you're a JTAG, you want to drop bombs. You want to you want to attack. You know what else, Peaches? You know what else has What's attack that? in it? Attack elite. Attack elite. Attack elite. Yeah, Steve Breen. When you guys were growing up, did you guys have all of the gear that you possibly needed to train for every single phase? I'm not going to wait for your answer, but I'm going to assume it's no because this is an ad read, not an actual question. <laughs> You didn't even know you were stepping into that, did you? Because I forgot know. to pre-brief it. This is what a professional podcast sounds like. So go to Attack Lead, check them out, use our code. It's uh, attack, uh, attackfitness.com. You can get entire like kits ready to train. You can decide on Monday you want to go to Aspect War. By Friday, you can have your kits. Trent, what's your favorite, what's your favorite kit over at Attack? You know, I love the fact that we identify as a professional podcast, first of all. And <laughs> no one can argue with that anymore. All you have to do is identify, you know, the, the, it, it's the, the, the masks and the fins. Like those are the big things that, that students have a hard time getting a hold of uh, pre pipeline. And actually I, I was talking to a guy online about this uh, yesterday about, you know, getting what he needs, but also they have all the workout gear. They have a broken out on their website for air force, you know, army land, water, everything that you need to, to be fit and, and be familiar with the equipment before you even step foot into the pipeline. So it's a pretty important stuff. Our guests look pretty happy to be in the middle of an ad read right now. Don't worry. Yeah, about I had it, no guys. idea that that was a terrible pre-brief. That's my bad. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so check them out. You know, they got ropes, masks, snorkels, fins. They've got plate carriers. They've got Alice Rucks. Uh, definitely hit them up and hit that promo code. One's ready. Make sure you get yourself a discount. All right, we're out of it. You guys, made you guys it. are good. You survived right. it. No worries. But 
They feel like, attacked. I, yeah, I bet you feel attacked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feel refreshed. Now you know where to go to get nice. some uh, some good equipment. Um, but I we kind of strategically put that ad read in there because it kind of ties into what you guys have got going on at Nellis. Um, and I don't know how I, I know you guys are both involved in it, but um, there's a pretty cool facility here at Nellis that your students and instructors go to. And it's affectionately called the Gator Dome because the six CTS are, are, are the Gators. But um, it's like I was in there a couple of weeks ago and it's, pretty incredible like you guys have got a nice place so what can you can you break that down what are what are the facilities like um who are in there because you guys have actually got some podif type people maybe they are actually podif but you got some folks in there that are helping out and train students and you get a lot of students in there so you mind dipping into the uh what the gator dome is all about sure yeah i'll take that one uh so the two coaches that we have are eric zacker who's a former tech p and Jason Brace, he was a strength coach at the Washington football team. And he was also in the Army. <laughs> Not to date him, but way back when. And they, they, they're they pretty amazing, if, if I do say so myself. Uh, whenever we get a new crop of students, they come in day one and they start you know, their PT program with with the students and what we've seen by the time they get there to when they leave they they do get significantly stronger you know so the, i mean jason is he, oh, he's wow. competed at national levels uh, on different olympic lifts and stuff like that and eric he he's a monster so you know he they while they're not getting smoked or, you know, rigorously PT'd like they would at phase one, they get put through a pretty decent program that's focused on both strength and conditioning. And so, like, their, their times on their miles drop, and then the, the weight that they're lifting goes through the roof. Like, yeah, they are. boys are pretty strong coming yeah. through the pipeline these days. And, and they're dedicated to the instructors, too, which is super cool because – you know, he, he's taken me from one spot to another. Now, I won't get into the specifics about where it was. But hey, as long I'm, as you're approved, like spot. whatever, man. Uh, but it's a, it's a really nice facility. I mean, you guys have got, um, there's a, like the best, the best I can describe it is, um, and I don't know who made it. I don't know if Beaver Fit made it or, or whoever did, but you, you Beaver Fit made it. Okay. So you take those kind of containers yes. and you've got long rows on each side and then they, then they put a, you know, a roof over it and it's, it's all enclosed, but then you've got pull-up bars and squat racks the whole way down. You've got turf that like Mark turf all the way down kind of for the length of it. Um, the, you know, there's curve treadmills, there's assault bikes and rogue echoes and, and sleds to push and pull. And, and, uh, it's all, all kinds of stuff. I think you guys, and maybe I just missed it, but do you guys have like a physical therapist or something like that, or a sports a sports medicine person there too? <laughs> yeah, my apologies. Shout out, Dave. Dave. I'm but, sure Dave um, listens to the podcast. There's a guy named I Dave Orr. Yeah, Dave, I, Dave probably trainer. doesn't listen to this podcast, Dave, but that's okay. Not now. We'll call well, not, not now after Breen ignored him. Like Breen didn't even give him a shout out. He didn't even say anything. He just <laughs> went right by Dave. Sorry, Dave. Dave Orr from One's Ready to You. You're our number one fan. We got a shirt for you. 
So you guys, okay. So you do have a bunch of, you've got a, a whole team there that are, that are there to provide strength and conditioning, sports medicine, and just take students and instructors from, from whatever level, you know, if there's any kind of drop off from phase one to, to getting them through phase two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, so depending on the class and circumstances, there can be like periods of time where they're awaiting training, you know? So when a student finishes phase one, they might have to wait a little bit before they come to phase two. And then once they complete phase two, you know, there might be a little bit of delay uh, back at phase one and all that. So there is a, a POTA program in place for the students basically from start to finish. So they're always getting looked after. They're always getting PT'd. Um, everything from nutrition to the physical therapy side, all that stuff. So, uh, I mean, compared to when Breezy and I came through, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different animal. So are, are they allowed to take supplements? I'm lucky I'm asking you for obvious reasons. If you're not watching on YouTube and you're only listening, you got to jump over so you can understand why I'm asking this question with the purple hoodie. Are they? Are you allowed to take supplements over there after you're out of AATC? <laughs> way, to, way to put them on the spot. Um, <laughs> sure, as long as it's on the... What is, Wait, what is that Air Force? Be approved. I, I've been, I've been staring at your hoodie for like 45 minutes, and I just, I, I'm like, I have to bring it up. I have to say yeah, something about supplements. Is it supply? <laughs> Fantastic. Man. Supplies. Supply company. I, okay, yeah, now everybody knows. I can't read. Also, I'm not a JTEC, mm-hmm. and also, I can't read. So there you go. Well, um, you would do terrible in the sim, I promise, be because that sim bad. is tough. That is, Real that is for, for me as a JTEC, that is the most challenging thing in the sim is being able to actually see. Really? And it's, it's not because, like, you know, you got Vietnam eyes or how does that work? <laughs> Agent Orange was a killer kid, so don't worry about it. We're, we're moving forward. So the, the students are, are PTN. Everything's good out there. When is the first moment that you see students? It finally clicks, like, as an instructor and as a student, you know when that, that moment happens where they finally they get it and, like, the, the big moment of the class. Is that when they first drop that, that first live bomb and then everybody throws their hands up and makes weird gang signs and, and everybody thinks that they've made it? <laughs> Different points, really. I, yeah, I think you're, you're probably about right. That's, uh, that's typically, like, week four of the course and towards the tail end of the field week. And I think that's when it really starts to kind of click for the kids and they start to feel comfortable in their abilities and all, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that, um, I think that's probably the biggest milestone uh, for the, aside from just graduating phase two is once they actually get some live ordinance drops. And I think that's kind of when, again, it kind of clicks for them, comes full circle, and it starts to mean a little bit more to them probably. It's like those same questions that you're asking during the beginning of the Sims to see, like, is this kid thinking about this? Is he thinking about X, Y, and Z? And then you ask those same questions when you're in week four and they've got an answer for it. It's like, ah. So if if you're a student and you're struggling, I mean, I know not everybody picks it up right away. And and if you get put up, uh, you know, on the board because you, you failed too many things or whatever, what's the difference student-wise, between someone that gets another chance and someone that maybe doesn't get another chance? Like, what can a student do to give them the best possible chance, even if they're struggling, to stay in the course um, and, and to, to make it to the end and to get some of that maybe one-on-one instruction from y'all? Attitude, really, I would say, is showing the desire to learn as opposed to, I know everything, I don't need your help kind of a thing. It's, it's, that's what I've seen from my perspective. I don't know if you have anything different. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I, I think we've probably all been in situations where nothing's going right. Like maybe your radio's not working or your equipment's not working. And there's really like the two different types of attitudes. The one that they're like, well, it's just not working. It's broken. You know, I guess I, <laughs> what, happens if you can't get, what happens if you can't or, get calm? You now you just go thing. home. And then, like, go home's over. <laughs> you just can't get calm. Yeah. You know, I tried, I tried, you know, I tried like four times. I tried the same thing four times and it just kept not working. But, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is there's the, the attitude where, you know, this is hard and I can't do it versus the attitude of like, I'm going to try everything I possibly can. Um, to figure no, out that, that makes sense. And we, we kind of, that, that would probably be prepped you guys a little bit before my, this, my or at least put you on notice that, that you'd be getting yeah. this question. And as we're, as we're kind of wrapping things up, we always ask our, our guests, like what kind of piece of advice would they give? Whether it's one thing, five things, like whatever um, piece of advice to folks that are coming in straight out of high school or maybe from college. Cause our demographic is right around 15 to 25, 28 years old. So um, some are cross trainees, some are, some are brand new folks. So um, I'll cop pop it over to Breen first. Uh, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's wanting to come in and be a tech B? I would say don't be afraid to ask questions because you're going to learn a lot of new things that oh, you're not how about familiar you, with. And if you're afraid to ask those questions, you're never going to learn anything. Solid. Got it. Yeah. You know, I think that I guess if I had to break it down, it would just be be humble, have humility. Um, it's kind of interesting seeing like the generational changes as students are coming through and like from when I was in. And I, I'll be the first to admit that, like, the kids that are coming through now are, are smart. They're probably smarter than I was when I was in their shoes. But along with that, and especially, you know, 18-plus months into a pipeline, a lot of times we see kids lose that humility and start to shut down and be less receptive. So it, it goes right hand-in-hand hand with what Breezy said, which is, you know, have humility, understand that you haven't made it yet, that you still, you know have some work to do. You will always have work to do. You will never make it. You will always, you know, every day continue to have to earn it and work for it. And you're never going to have all the answers. I may have so to pull that one as, probably a, as an just Instagram like try to maintain club. that attitude. You will never make it. You, you have never made it ever, made it. ever. You understand me? <laughs> Preach. You will never make it. All right. Just never made appreciate it. you guys yep. joining us. Uh, for everybody Gotta. that's out there uh, watching, hopefully maybe listening. I don't know. Please subscribe, hit the bell, leave us a review, uh, check out some of the partners that we've got on there. Go buy some merch if you feel so inclined. And, uh, and hey, appreciate it again for joining us. Later. <laughs>